everybody. I want to greet everyone at every location in Binghamton, Cortland, Corning, Syracuse, and then everybody joining us online. Church, can we put our hands together and make everybody joining us feel welcome? We are so pleased to be with you right now. If we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Will. I'm the lead pastor here at Two Rivers Church. I want you to look right at me. I'm going to look right at you, and I want you to hear this from the bottom of my heart, that I love you. I've been praying for you, and I believe that God's going to do something special in this room right now, and I believe that right through the screen today, God has a special message for your life. If you'll open your heart to listen, he's going to do something. I've watched it over the years. We've been doing this for five years now where I speak and it's recorded and then we send it out to multiple locations. And some people say, how could God work through a video? And really what happens is I watch people come in and I like to say it like this sometimes, good preaching is good preaching, bad preaching is just bad preaching. Don't matter if the preacher's live or, or on screen. But what God wants to do right now, and I've watched this for years, is he does something where when we record this, it's designed for you right where you are in the moment you're in. And, and so there's, I watch people come under the anointing and just come through and weep the entire time as, as the Holy Spirit is at work in the room. Because I want you to hear this. This is not about me. It's not about a video. It's not about a preference around how to do church. What you need to focus in and on and around is that Jesus is at work in my life right now. Somebody turn to your neighbor. Come on, put your hands together. That's pretty good already. But turn to your neighbor and tell them Jesus wants to touch your life. Go ahead and tell them that. And, and just like Pastor John did last week, now turn to your other neighbor and tell him he even wants to touch you too, the person that you didn't talk to already. Oh, my goodness. Well, it's so good to be with you. We're in week number three of our series entitled Finding Jesus. If you have your notes, that you should have been given notes on your way in. If you didn't get those notes, if you just slip your hand up at every location, one of the ushers will come by. They're going to make sure that, that you get a hold of those notes so you can follow along with the message today. There's some fill in the blanks for us, and, and there's scriptures all the way through. We started out in week one of this series looking at John the Baptist. John the evangelist was writing the gospel, and he starts out with the testimony of John. And John says to prepare the way for Jesus. And in that, we examined our hearts to say, am I, am I looking at who Jesus is? Am I truly trying to find Jesus? And maybe I've even become a little too familiar with who Jesus is. Maybe I've become flippant in who Jesus is. And then last week, Pastor John brought a fantastic message in which we were encouraged to fall in love with Jesus, to find Jesus and, and let him be the apple of our eye. Well, this week we're going to look at from John. Well, actually, I want to start in, in chapter 20. And then we're going to back it all the way up to John chapter 2. Because I believe that everyone has the picture of what they want Jesus to be. But if we're going to be under the lordship of Jesus, we need to discover who Jesus really is. And John wrote his book. It says in John chapter 20, verse 30, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is 
the Messiah, the what? Everybody together, he is the Son of God, and that by believing you may, what, what is this, the next two words? That you may have life in his name. That actually if you discover who Jesus is, that if we discover him as the Messiah, the Son of God, in all of his fullness, in all of his glory, that actually in finding Jesus, you find life. What's interesting about this passage, John says that these signs were given that you might believe. It's an interesting dynamic because sometimes as you read the scriptures, we're told that people are looking for signs. Many times the Pharisees came to Jesus and said, hey, would you give us a sign? He said, I'm not going to give you any sign but the sign of Jonah, which is this moment Jonah went into the, the fish and then came up three days later. Jesus is referring to his death, burial, and resurrection on the third day. Jesus rose again. So Jesus isn't saying that no signs will be given. He's saying, hey, I'll give you the greatest sign of all. My death, burial, and resurrection. But the, the question of testing Jesus, prove yourself to me, Jesus, show me who you are, isn't entirely wrong. Because Jesus reveals himself and who he is. And John says, I'm going to show you seven signs. These signs prove who Jesus is. And, he, and the entire book of John is constructed around that, that premise. So he gives us some signs. And the first sign that John gives is found in John chapter 2. It's a wedding scene. So in, in this is the title, I want to talk to you about the first sign, water to wine. Oh boy, here we go. Turn to your neighbor and say, oh boy, here we go. He's going to be talking about alcohol. He's going to be talking about party. What's going to happen today? Let's go to John chapter 2, verse 1. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Verse 4, woman, why do you involve me? I'm just going to give a little side note because when I read that on surface value, it's like, whoa, Jesus, he didn't say, mom, what, what are you doing? It's, he says, woman. But you'll notice Jesus uses this phrase. It's a sign of respect. It just doesn't translate well. Uh, we, we probably have some better ways of saying that, but it's a term of endearment. He uses the same phrase. When he's talking to John from the cross, making provision for his mother to make sure that she's cared for while he hangs on the cross. It's not a sign of disrespect. It's a sign, it's a term of endearment. It just doesn't train, it don't look good when we say it and, and hear it that way. So if anybody's wondering if Jesus is a misogynistic, mother disrespecting person, the answer is no. So Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. Now, when I read this, I get to this point in the scripture, and I'm like, what in the world is Jesus talking about? She asked him for some wine. And he says, I'm, what, what, what are you involving me for? I, my hour has not yet come. Like, Jesus, this is not that complicated. 
You're making it way more complicated on on a surface view. But we'll get into that. We'll talk about that here in a moment. Verse 5. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Verse 6. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. And they did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. When he called the bridegroom aside, he said, everyone brings out the choice wine first. And then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you saved the best till now. Verse 11. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Here we see that Jesus is giving a sign upon which the disciples believed. There's a common theme running through the book of John. In each of the signs we see those who believed and those who did not believe. The same sign was responded to by the people who saw the sign, but they responded differently. And my invitation to you today is that at the end of this experience, you would have the opportunity to believe on Jesus. And that not only would you believe on Jesus, but you would have a better picture and a better understanding of who Jesus actually is. Because over the next few minutes, we want to talk about some of the things that we get confused about Jesus in. That in the very description of this passage, we miss the point over and over and over again. So first question is, why is this a sign that Jesus is the Messiah? Like it's water to wine. It feels like there's a lot of other signs that could have been a bigger deal. Why is this the first sign that Jesus is Messiah? Well, it is if you're a Jew. See, the Jews had this problem that they were looking forward to the day that had been prophesied about over and over and over again. That actually there was someone coming who was going to be the wine master. That, that the Messiah was actually going to be somebody who was going to let the wine flow. And it says it like this in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 12. And this is about when the Messiah comes. They will come and shout for joy on the heights of Zion. They'll rejoice in the bounty of the Lord, the grain, the new wine, and the oil, the young of the flocks and herds. That there's going to be a Messiah who's going to take away all the lack. That there's going to be somebody who's going to come and he's going to bring grain and wine and oil. Then Joel chapter 3 verse 18 says it like this. In that day, the mountains will drip. Everybody together will drip. And the hills will flow with milk. All the ravines of Judah will run with water. Amos chapter 9 verse 13 says the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman and the planter by the one treading grapes. 
In other words, there's coming a time when the person who is trying to reap, the person who's planting is going to overtake them. It's, it's just going to be this crazy, like how did the provision even come? Like I, I, I'm trying to plant in the, if the harvest is already here. I didn't even have time to reap. That's a pretty cool day. Like, man, that's good. I didn't have to wait all that long. This is going to be an accelerated provision. And what's going to happen? New wine will drip from the mountains and flow from all the hills. And I'll bring my people Israel back from exile. They'll rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. Come on, somebody. How many want to see the, re the ruined cities rebuilt? How, come on, I know there's a few around here that are bought into that vision of what needs to happen. And we're going to rebuild because of what Jesus is doing. They're going to plant vineyards and then they're going to drink their wine. They'll make gardens and eat their fruit. So this is, this is the sign of the Messiah. Now when, when Mary is saying to Jesus, I want you to take care of this wine problem, what Jesus recognizes, hey, when I do this, it's not yet my time, but this is a sign that the Messiah is here. And, and, and what's interesting about this, when we read it, I, I read it and I'm like, Jesus was a party animal. I want to find a way to justify my desire for alcohol. Jesus drank alcohol. Jesus, Jesus partied with sinners. Jesus was, and, and, and I use that not to find Jesus, but to find permission to gratify my own desires. I'm looking for permission to do things my way. I grew up in a church. I know how to manipulate scriptures. I know how to torture. You've been around any religious person at all. They'll, they'll get in the word and they'll pull out some what I call prison theology. You quote all the word, just none of it makes sense the way it ought to. And, and this is what what the question I have. So what do we learn about Jesus from this passage? Number one, Jesus is generous. Jesus is generous. I want to track back through this story because at the beginning of this, the dilemma is that there's a person who's trying to throw a party at their wedding and they run out of provision for the guests. And it's a bit of a social dilemma because people, these are multiple day affairs. If you've got to walk a long way to get to your brother's wedding, and now you're going to stay a few days. It's the first time I heard about these like weddings being like multiple day affairs. I was like, that's a three-day bender. People getting sloshed for like weeks at a time. Who knows how long this thing's going for? And, but the issue here is that they've run out of wine. The party stopped, maybe. What's interesting about this is that some, the guests would come and go over a span of multiple days. We have nice calendar apps and we have nice RSVP systems through the mails. Sometimes news traveling, it take a lot more time for people to get coordinated to do parties the way they did back in the day. 
So there's some practical considerations around what's going on here. But this groom found himself in a social pickle, and he didn't have enough for his guests. And, and in that, he's run out. He's got nothing to give the people who came. So here's what I find interesting now. John chapter 2, verse 4. John, or at John chapter 2, verse 3. Jesus' mother comes to him and says, hey, Jesus, I know you got this. Which is, which is such an interesting thing. Like Mary knew to go to Jesus for the problem that they were facing. How many times when we are lacking provision is it that we blame Jesus rather than go to him? Like, Jesus, you told me to do this, and now I, I don't have what I thought I needed. And Mary goes to Jesus, and what's even more interesting about that is why would she know to go to Jesus in the first place? I bet he made wine before. Like, this probably happened in their house. Like, I ran out of wine. Jesus like, don't worry, Mom, I got this. And it goes to the nature of what we're learning about who Jesus is. Jesus is generous. It's not a one-time thing that we're seeing here. This sign is a public thing. But it's in the very nature of who he is. She knew that she could go to Jesus with this provision problem because it is the very nature of Christ to be generous. Oh, he should have planned better. He should have done more work to provide for all, all the things that we could say. Jesus is like, eh, I, we gonna, I'm, I'm going to give them what they don't deserve. I'm going to give them abundant overflow. I'm going to give them what goes beyond the thing. And what we are so good at doing is missing because we're like, I want the abundant overflow. And we'll look at what Jesus can do for us and miss who he is. It's not the first time he solved the lack issue and it won't be the last. It's his nature. When you're facing lack, when you're facing a drought, when you're facing, hey, I'm in a pickle socially. I don't know how this is going to go. I don't know what my finances are going to look like. I don't know how I'm supposed to take care of the people that I'm supposed to take care of. i got responsibility for my kids and my household. Who do you go to? We go to Jesus because he is generous. He is the source of all provision. He is the source of abundance. So Jesus says to the servants, fill the jars with water. Because Mary knew enough to say, do what this guy says. Just do what he says to do. She, she had that figured out. In fact, it's the only instruction we get from Mary in the word of God. She's pointing back to Jesus. Do what he says to do. If you like to go pray to Mary, listen to what she has to say. Do what this guy says. Obey Jesus. He'll take care of this. So Jesus says to the servants, fill the jars with water, so they filled them to the brim. And this is the faith transaction that needs to take place in every life. This sounds really, really crazy. 
Jesus, the issue here is we out of line. You're telling me to do something that doesn't solve my problem. I mean, it's neat. These jars aren't even used for wine. They're for ceremonial washing. 20 to 30 gallons. This is heavy. Eight and a half pounds per gallon. You're talking about 150 to 250 pounds per jar times six. So we're talking almost a ton of wine. There's a lot going on here. Why are we filling these with water? And then he said, draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. Okay. I'm about to get fired, Jesus. Like I'm the servant here, and I'm about to give the guy who's in charge of making sure the party runs right a ladle full of water. Now, both of those instructions, I probably, in my own thinking, if I'm trying to reason it out, I'm getting off the bus. I, listen, party master, I had nothing to do with what these guys were up to. I don't know why they were doing what they were doing. They were wasting a lot of time when they could have been serving the guests the way I was. Disassociate myself from the crazy people. And and what we find here is that they had to have some level of faith, but their faith was in a person. Their faith was in Jesus, and it was not misplaced because of the very nature of who Jesus is. That Jesus' nature, by who he is, he can be no other thing. It is his nature. You could no sooner change it than you could change anything about the foundations of the universe. That Jesus is who he is, and you can reliably depend on Jesus to do what he says he would do. That his character is generosity. If you start thinking that Jesus is stingy, Jesus is, he's trying to keep things from me. Jesus is trying to punish me. Jesus is trying to ruin my life. Jesus is trying to keep things from me. This is the nature, this is the sign of the Messiah. Let me show you what abundance looks like. Well, let me show you what provision looks like. Let me show you what new wine looks like. It's not a gallon. It's not two gallons. We're talking about 150 gallons of wine. This this homeowner, this guy who's getting married, is going to be drinking wine together with his wife for a long time. Maybe in some households less. But the servants, they fill up those six jars of water. They do what Jesus says to do. And what comes out is abundant overflow. They obeyed Jesus. That's what releases the supernatural in your life and in my life. That that we can talk about Jesus. You can know all about Jesus. But until we take the step of the servant to say, okay, Jesus, I'm going to do what you've said to do. It doesn't need to make a lot of sense, but I know you said it to me, so I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway. 
And in that moment, God sees your faith and it releases abundance. It releases generosity. It releases the miracle in your life. So my question is, what is the thing in your life that you're knowing I'm supposed to have taken this step and I just haven't done it yet because I've had all of these conscious problems with all the things that I'm supposed to do that Jesus has said to do. And I'm waiting. I'm waiting for the right time. I'm waiting for the right season. I'm waiting for things to make a lot more sense. And Jesus is saying, hey, why don't we just take that step of faith? And then I'll come through with abundance. I'll come through with provision. I'll come through with generosity. I got your back. It's in my nature. I don't know if you're getting this good enough. It's in the nature of Jesus to take good care when we are in facing a pickle. And so they obeyed him. In verse 10 it says, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. So there's some question around, is this new wine alcoholic? Well, you saved the best till now. Jesus didn't give them the cheap stuff. He gave them the best stuff. And the point of this is not to get all about the good stuff. Because if we have any sense at all, and we understand the sign that John's giving, John's not saying, hey, look at the alcohol. John's not saying, hey, look at the party. John's not even saying, hey, look at the wedding. John's saying, hey, look at Jesus. Look at who this Jesus is. John's inviting us to know the God-man, to walk with Jesus, to worship Jesus, to do the work of Jesus, to love Jesus daily. So Jesus at the center, Jesus as our source, Jesus as our provider, Jesus as the ultimate party for my soul, that Jesus is able to give me abundant life and abundant provision and everything that I'll ever need. It's found in Jesus. So number two, how do we miss Jesus? Because I've already alluded to a bunch of the ways. We make this about party Jesus. We are very good, and I want us to recognize that as we are finding Jesus, we are very good at taking the creator and substituting the creator for the created. That in the very moment of seeing the creator at work, we are interested in what he created. What did, what did Jesus make? What is this? Religious people and non-religious people alike like to use Jesus to justify their own behavior. As a religious person, I like to come to this passage to justify marriage. And I believe rightly so that Jesus' first sign was done at a wedding. He's affirming the beautiful nature of what it is to have union between a man and a woman. Does Jesus recognize marriage? Absolutely. I, I got involved in, on TikTok. Somebody was trying to say that sex is the equivalence of marriage. And I was like, no, bro, you ain't even close. When you have sex with somebody, you ain't married to them. That's how come Jesus finds the woman at the well. She's had multiple husbands, but with the man she was living with at that moment was not her husband. He recognizes the institution of marriage as a covenant between a man and a woman. 
So is that the point of this passage? And the answer is no. It, what, what we're doing is we're saying, hey, could we learn from this? Absolutely. Is that the point? Absolutely not. So when we read down through the passage, could I get confused? Could I get twisted up? Could I be looking at the wrong things? Absolutely. So we read down through this passage, we make it about alcohol. Growing up in the church, I quoted this many times. How many have ever said, you know, Jesus, he made some, Jesus made some wine. <laughs> yeah. We substitute the Savior for the provision. So is the new wine alcoholic? Yes. Did Jesus make wine that could get people drunk? Yes. Is the problem the alcohol? No. The problem that Jesus came to solve is the pit of de depravity in our soul. The problem's not the alcohol, it's the person who's imbibing. And the reason why they're imbibing. So could you use this passage to justify that you could drink alcohol because Jesus made wine? I'm sure you could, but you would miss the point. That Jesus is the source of all provision. That what you're looking for to satisfy your soul is not the alcohol. If you want to use Jesus to justify the alcohol, you've misplaced the creator for the created. I can give myself permission because Jesus is a party animal. We make it about, did Jesus party with sinners? Yes, he did. Did Jesus sin at a party with sinners? No, he didn't. Would I sin at a party with sinners? I probably would. See, all those things, these are all contextualized. Paul deals with all of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. In Corinthians, he's dealing with a, a, a culture that is way more promiscuous than us. They viewed it to be a good thing to have sex with the prostitutes in order to worship God. I'm just doing my duty to God today. How was your day, honey? Oh, it was great. I stopped by the temple prostitutes and worshiped the Lord for a few moments. Like people talking about the demise of America and how we messed up we are. We ain't even close, y'all. We ain't there yet. Is there plenty of promiscuity? Is there plenty of lust? Is there plenty of problems? I think we can learn a little from the Corinthians. And, and they had this problem of meat sacrificed to idols. And we're going to hear about this as we get into Halloween season because people are going to start getting agitated about the fact that we use the word Halloween in our outreach to kids on October 30th. They're going to get agitated because it's probably evil. You're endorsing evil. You're doing some evil things. And here's what Paul says about all of it. He says, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. But I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. Paul's saying, is there a measure for your life? If you're trying to justify God saying, hey, drink alcohol or do this thing or do that thing, Paul's question isn't, can you? Paul's question is, is it going to benefit you? Is it going to be good for you? I'll tell you right now, there's a lot of things that other people can do that I cannot do. And, and most pastors don't like to preach this way because they're going to think that you're going to use 
this way of thinking to give permission to yourself to go do evil things. And Jesus didn't do this. Jesus didn't say, hey, this is the way to do things, or this is what you want to justify. He's inviting us to who he is as the source of our soul satisfaction. Can you smoke weed? Man, I have the right to do anything. But not everything is beneficial. Man, it mellows me out. It takes care of me. Alcohol just takes the edge off. You got the right to do anything, but not everything's constructive. Verse 24, no one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Verse 31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And then in verse 32, he gives some more qualifying study. We're not allowed to just sit around and do things the way I think that I want to do. Verse 32, don't cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, that my liberty, that my permission wouldn't be in someone else's life, their downfall. Even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. What's at issue here is we want to substitute the creator for the created. And if, if the question is, can I drink, can I smoke, can I, can I go to parties, can I go hang out with sinners, can I go do all of these things? And the answer is yes. You sure can. And Paul is saying, you done missed it. If that's what, if that's what your whole thing is about, what you can do, what you're allowed to to be involved in, we haven't come even close. Because we're asking the wrong question. Is this thing going to satisfy my soul? Is this thing going to bring me new life? Is this thing going to be bringing me peace? Is it going to be bringing me joy? Is it going to bring, is it, or is it the worship of the created thing? And I, and I've substituted now, I filled my heart up with food. I filled my heart up with alcohol. I filled my heart up with drugs. I filled my heart up with sex. I filled my heart up with all of these other things. And what happens is C.S. Lewis says it this way, that our appetite for God is too small because we're easily satisfied with the created rather than the creator. And then the Bible says in another way, American Christian, that the cares of this life and the worries of this world and the deceitfulness of wealth will choke out the gospel. That actually I can be so filled with all of these other things that I have no more room for Jesus. And what I'm inviting you today, just like John did, that the sign is that Jesus turns water into wine, it's not about so I can drink, not about so I can party, it's not about so I can have things my way, it's not even about marriage, it's about the fact that he is a generous God who loves me, wants to provide for me, wants to take care of me, and I don't need all of those things, what I need is Jesus Christ alone. 
So what I'm calling you to in this moment right now is to leave all of that behind. Like Jesus said to the disciples, he said, leave your fish, leave your nets, leave everything you have and come and follow me. I'm trying to point you to Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Almighty One, that our view of who Jesus is might have become a little bit too small. And I want to open your eyes into his grandeur and his glory and his majesty that if we would behold the risen Savior, that everything in our life would change. So I want to give you that opportunity today. And in just a few moments, we're going to respond. And I want in, in our response, if, if there's something holding you from Jesus, if there's a bitterness in your heart, a brokenness, something where you've decided that God is not the God of abundant provision, that God is not the God who cares for me, that God is not the God who sees me and knows me, I want you to look at the first sign to see who Jesus is. And know that he loves you, he cares about you, he's worried about all of your needs, and he's calling you out past all of those things into who he is. And you're going to embark on an amazing journey. And everybody else is stuck on all the mundane, but he's going to take you into real life and life more abundantly. Bow your heads with me, close your eyes at every single location. Jesus, I pray right now that you would reveal yourself to us. God, we repent of looking at the created things instead of our creator. God, we've made Christianity into a list of do's and don'ts, and it's all about you. So Jesus, even right now, we want to proclaim you as the center, as the most important, as the pursuit of our lives. And we're going to find you again. We're going to have the joy of following you. We're going to have the joy of faith. We're going to have the joy of your abundant provision that all the cares of this life and the worries of this world are going to take a back seat to who you are. We thank you for it now. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody together said, Amen. Amen.